I'm going to ask a question, and I'm going to ask this question every time before I start out the rest of this year. All right, are you ready? I hope I'm not disappointed like I was Wednesday. All right. How many of you have started your prayer walking, prayer driving, or praying for your neighbors? Oh, made me feel better. There still needs to be more hands. All right. The reason why I'm asking that, I want to hold you accountable as I want you to hold me accountable. God laid that on my heart that we have got to reach our Jerusalem, our neighborhood, the place right where we live. And if you, you need to be able to impact at least four houses that are right there on your street. So I pray that you're doing that. So I'm going to ask that question every week. So just be prepared. All right. So be prepared. I'm going to ask that question. But today we're going to talk about the essentials of discipleship. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 4. So if you'll flip over there, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 to 21. If ever there was an area in churches that we have failed in, it is discipleship. I'm just not going to lie. In a Baptist church, we don't fail in fellowship, do we? We'll, we'll, We'll bring in some fried chicken all the time. All right, and and man, you bring that in, and it's going to gather the people. Fellowship, Baptist churches don't have a problem with fellowship. Uh, Some of them have a problem with worship, but we don't have that issue, do we? Troy, we in trouble. I I think they got a problem. I don't know. Uh, Evangelism, as a church, we do a pretty good job of evangelism as well. And when it comes to ministry, there are a lot of people in our church that are involved in ministry, but discipleship, discipleship of all things, is where we seem to lack. Now, as the staff went off and and we met together and we talked about some goals that we had for this year, discipleship was one of those things that we really wanted to emphasize. And so some of the goals that we as a church set for this year, uh, we want to get back on track. The first one was to have 500 in Sunday school by summer. Now, we're running about mid-400s at times, but we want to see 500 by summer and 600 by the end of the year. Do you say, well, brother, why are you, why are you really trying to push that? Well, because we want our Sunday school to grow. Can I help you understand something? You're not going to get all the meat that you need just in this service. You need the small groups. Now, here's the thing. We have some amazing teachers, and I'm going to introduce them to you this morning. All right? We have some amazing teachers. Brother David Rhodes is sitting over here. You all know him. Go ahead and stand up, David. Brother David Rhodes, he teaches one of the classes in the Jubilee Center. Uh, If you go into Jubilee Center, he's the first room on the right. And uh, he's got a mixed group of ages and couples. All right? You can sit down, David. All right? And then then the very next class to him is Brother Augie Vestola. Brother Augie, if you'll stand up, he's back there in the back. Brother Augie also teaches a couples class. He's the second door on the left in the Jubilee Center. He does a great job. Uh, Next to him is Brother Ronnie Presley. He and Sam Moses teach the men's class. And uh, they're on that very next door. And uh, they do an amazing job. Next to them in that very last class in the Jubilee is Brother Aaron Elmore, who teaches our Next Steps class. There he is in the balcony. And uh, he... He and Brother Ray Ferris teach our Next Steps class, which is, uh, you you hear us talk about it all the time. We really try to emphasize Next Steps because we want you to know who we are as a church. We want to get to know you, and this is the class to do it in, and it's a wonderful class. We had a full class this morning, didn't we? They were packed out the doors in there. It was great. All right, then on the right side of the uh, Jubilee Center, in that very first classroom on the right, is Miss Linda Harmon. Where's Miss Linda at? 
There's Miss Linda. Uh, she teaches uh, one of our ladies' classes, and she does a fantastic job. Thank you, Miss Linda. And then next to her is Brother Michael Brashear. Where's my, there's Brother Michael back there. And uh, he teaches a couple's class. He's just started this class out and already growing it and doing a fantastic job. So we're thankful for these. These are all the ones that are in the Jubilee Center. But that's not where the only place that we have uh, some of our adult Sunday school classes. We also have adult Sunday school classes in our East Center. And we got six amazing classes back there. Uh, and if you go down the East Center hallway, the first classroom on the left is Brother Ken Potter. Uh, if you'll stand up, Ken. Brother Ken teaches a couple's class. And... Uh, and then next to him, the class behind him, is Brother Nathan Colby. No, he's over here. And, uh, and then if you go down the right side, the very first classroom on the right is a brand new class that was just started by Brother Josh Mofield. There he is. We just want you to be able to put a, a name with a face, all right? And then next to him is our college and career class taught by Brother Travis Humes, who's over here. If you go upstairs, we have two classes in the East Center, and uh, in those two classes that we have up there, uh, we have a couples class taught by Brother Michael Kilgore, right up there in the balcony, and then we also have a ladies class up there taught by Miss Debbie Harris, who's right back in the back there, and so we just, we have some amazing classes, but I know I'm missing one. And the choir room, that's right. How can I forget that one? I knew. I was like, I got the two buildings. All right. And the choir room, I knew I was forget. How did I forget him? You can hear him all over the church. All right. That's Brother Travis Peach. Where's Travis? He's back in the sound booth. And uh, I'll tell you, man. Oh, he's up in the balcony. I'm sorry. He, he actually didn't have to be in the sound booth. There we go. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you, man. We are, I'm just telling you, our Sunday school classes are amazing. And I can say that because I've been to just about all of them. The only classes I haven't been to, uh, except I haven't been to the new ones yet. I'm going to get by them. But I haven't been to the ladies' classes either. Other than to stop in there for a visit. No offense, ladies. Can't stay in there for your teaching, all right? But I love these classes. I love these teachers. And I'm telling you, we have some of the best. And that's why we push Sunday school as so vital and so important in your growth and in your ministry. Some of the other things that we've got, we want to get all of our classrooms being used. Now, we've got four classrooms that are available. We've got two classrooms in the East Center that are open. We're hoping to fill those up. We've got two in the youth that are open. We're hoping to fill those up. We've got a few in the children's building, preschool building. We want to fill up every room. We want to have people growing in Christ constantly. Also, we want to have 800 at our Bible conference. Do you hear us pushing the Bible conference? We want to have 800 in the evening. Now, guess what? We want to push it in our own church, but we want to push it outside of our church as well. We want people to show up because I'm telling you, some of the most amazing preaching, music, everything is going to be going on at the time, and we want you to be here. We want to have 100 in discipleship training and also in our youth. We want to start some new discipleship training, and we're going to talk about that today and what that entails. But church, small groups, and mentoring are essential essential for discipleship. It's absolutely essential. Yes, we want you to come to worship, and yes, we want you to come to the service, but we want you involved in smaller groups as well. They are adamantly important to us as a church, and we want to emphasize that. Well, today we're going to look at four essentials of discipleship found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. So let's take a look at this together. And here's the thing. It's going to actually be an acronym. All right, How many of you like acronyms? You just need to remember one word today, and it should help you with everything else. The word you need to remember today is fire. 
fire. Anybody remember fire? Can you say fire for me? Okay, good. Now, hopefully that's ingrained in there. We're going to be using the acronym FIRE to go through this passage of Scripture, and we're going to show you what it entails. All right, the first thing, the first essential of discipleship is to follow. To follow. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Now, I love Paul's admonition here. I love Paul's demeanor here, his love for the people. And you got to understand, Paul led thousands of people to Jesus. Thousands. Paul started a multitude of churches all over the land. Now, you would think that Paul would be that kind of guy that once he had led them to the Lord, he would just release them. But in Paul's mindset, he looked at them as though he were their spiritual father and they were his children. Paul never wanted to neglect that. And I want you to understand the way I look at it as well is I look at it as though I am a father to the children of this church. You say, well, why do you look that way? Because I will one day be judged for how I led this church. You realize that, right? As the elder of this church, I will be judged for how I've led this church, the things that I did. And so guess what? I want everything the best for you in your life and in your walk with Christ. And Paul says, it's about following It's about doing what those who are gone on before you. Uh, Here's the thing. Jesus talked about this himself in following. When Jesus called the disciples, guess what he said to them? Follow me. When he spoke out to Peter, Andrew, James, and John in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, what does it say there? It simply says this. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Isn't it amazing that when he called these four disciples, his first implication was to follow him. You look at Matthew. It says, as Jesus passed from the tax office, he saw a man named Matthew sitting there and he said unto him, follow me. When he spoke to the rich young ruler, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus led people, he told them to follow him. That's what happened every time. If you want to be my disciple, then you've got to follow me. Now, here's the thing. We've got the mindset in church today, it's no longer about following, it's about sitting. Right? If I come to the church and I sit and I get fed, then I'm being who I need to be as a Christian. No, 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 no. Jesus never said, come sit here. He always said, you want to be my disciple, come follow me. In fact, when he gave the cost of discipleship, That was another one of the calls in Matthew 16 and verse 24. What did he say? You've got to deny yourself, the bottom verse there. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But I love it when the disciples came to him in Matthew chapter 8. They asked the question. They said, Lord, I want to follow you. I love that. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he looks at another guy. He goes, come follow me. And the guy goes, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus doesn't make a very, it doesn't seem like a very sensitive statement, but he says, let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, he said, let those who are spiritually dead take care of the spiritually dead things. When, you're, when you have life, come follow me in a spiritual walk. Follow me. Here's the thing. As long as you have breath, you ought to be a disciple. You ought to be growing in your relationship. You ought to be following someone. When you go past the cost, you also see the ownership of discipleship. 
And Paul saw this in Galatians 4.19. My little children for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. He called them his little children. But look at what he says in Thessalonians. As you know, he exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Isn't it amazing the way Paul talked to people? Paul wrote these letters to him. Now, could you imagine if I wrote this to somebody older than me? Could you imagine if I wrote a letter out to somebody that was, I'm 47, if I wrote it to some of you senior adults in here and I said, oh, my little children, how I love you as a spiritual father. How many notes I'd get back and emails I'd get back that wouldn't be so pretty? Y'all probably look at me like, who do you think you are? Can you imagine, though, when God called me and I pastored my first church as 25 years old? There weren't a lot of people younger than me in the church and the truth was, is I was still called to be a spiritual father to that church, to minister to them, to reach out to them. But the idea and the mindset behind discipleship is to follow somebody. I'm going to ask you a simple question. How many of you have ever played follow the leader? Anybody ever played follow the leader? Yeah, we all did. How many of you just wanted to be the leader? That's the problem in the church right there. All right. That's the problem. Can I just tell you something? For some reason, people that don't even work in the church want to tell the staff how it runs. You're not here every day. Do you know what's going on? You have no idea. You don't know the things that are going on. You don't know what we pray about, what we're working through, how we're trying to accomplish these things. Following means, guess what? You find somebody that you believe you can get behind and follow, and you follow their leadership. Jesus said, come follow me. Could you imagine if Peter goes, hey, Lord, do you mind if I take the lead for a second? Yeah? You know the, the old popular country song? It's not you take the wheel. It's Jesus take the wheel, right? The problem is, is too many of us have that bumper sticker and we live by it, and that is Jesus is my co-pilot. He's not your co-pilot. He's your pilot. You are in the back, and you don't get to tell him what to do. Follow. It's all about that. Being a part of a disciple is following. Jesus wanted to invest in them, invest in their lives, and show them how to live the Christian life. Can I tell you something? Here's the issue. There are far too many Christians today that aren't following and being mentored and being shown how to live the Christian life. We want to come into church on Sunday morning, sit here for an hour and a half service, and then go out and the rest of the week be ours. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is following somebody. It's being a part of living the Christian journey every day of your lives. And Paul understood this when he talked to them as a spiritual father. But not only is it about following, it's also about imitating. Look at verse 16. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Imitate me. Do you get that? I urge you to imitate me. Now, you think about this. How many of you have ever played Simon Says? Okay, I'm going to try a little, little something here in church this morning. We're going to play a little Simon Says. Okay? I want to see if y'all can do real well. You ready? Y'all are like, we do not do this in church. We do not play games in church. I promise there's a point to it. Are you ready? Everybody put your hand on your head, your right hand on your head. It's going to be fun imitating, isn't it? Y'all follow instructions very well. Now, Simon says, put your right hand on your right knee. 
Simon says, put your left hand over your heart. Some of y'all are like, where's that at? <laughs> All right. Now you can stop. I told you it'd be short. Man, y'all are really bad at Simon Says. Simon Says, you can stop. All right. Wow. Now, here, I, you say, what is that about? Simon Says is about imitation. It's about doing and following instructions. When you have imitation, the idea, and they say imitation is the greatest flattery. It's about doing what's been shown before you. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 4. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Get this, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know why God called me to be a pastor? Not to do everything in the church. My number one goal as a pastor is to equip all the members of the church to do the work. Can you imagine if God had 700 elite soldiers show up for duty versus one, what he could do? Be a lot more work getting done, wouldn't there? Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitation is so vital and important. But we've missed this part. We've missed it so many times in the church. Could you imagine if I was talking to my daughter one day and I looked at her and I said, Hannah, go clean your room. My daughter disappears for two hours and then she comes back to me. And when she comes back, she says, Dad, I memorized what you said. You said, Hannah, go clean your room. Hey, guess what, Dad? I can even say it in Greek for you. In fact, I've got a group of friends that are coming by, and we're going to study what it would look like if my room was clean. Does that sound good? Isn't that how we treat discipleship? Well, God, I, I memorized a few verses. In fact, I was a part of a group that studied what it was like to be a disciple. But as far as actually doing it, that's a whole other thing. Many people treat discipleship like it's just another thing to check off the box. If I just read another chapter of scripture or I just, I do this or I do that. Discipleship is about imitation. It's about following somebody who's following Christ and imitating their life. In order to do that, there has to be an investment. An investment in you. And guess what? Here's the problem. The problem is, is our plates are so full. That so often we look at that and say, there's nothing I can get rid of to give room to that. Can I just tell you something? It's time that you start with a clean, empty plate. And I understand you might have work and you can throw work on there, but that's 40 hours out of 168 hours. What are you doing with the other 128? There's plenty of time, but you just have to make it important and essential to your life. Imitate me is what Paul says. Then there's to reproduce. You follow, you imitate, and you reproduce. Look at verse 17. For this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who's my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who reminds you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Isn't that amazing? He says, I've turned over the ministry to Timothy. 
I've given Timothy the chance to come over there. I taught Timothy. I showed Timothy. I introduced Timothy. I led him to the Lord. I've trained Timothy. I've discipled him. And now Timothy's going to come and disciple you. Dude, that's awesome. Can I tell you something? I did a discipleship program at a church in Alabama. And the coolest thing was not just that I disciple people, but the people that I discipled had discipled people. And the really cool thing is those people were discipling people. And I began to see this vision take place as God was doing this and God was really changing lives. And that's what it's all about. It's about reproducing. Could you imagine if the disciples, after Jesus called them to follow him and imitate them, they just stopped? Could you imagine if the disciples made disciples like you make disciples, where the church would be today? You see, we would be in grave trouble, and so we've got to pick it up. I'm not saying this to tell us that we're not doing a good job. I'm telling us this so that we can begin to do a good job, so that we can begin to be on this journey together. You think about the Great Commission. To be honest with you, we call it the Great Commission, but we really could call it the Great Omission. Couldn't we? It's what God has called us to do, but we're not doing it. In verse 19, well, let's start in 18. I want you to see this. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. So that means, guess what? He has authority over you, 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 me, everybody. So if he has all authority, he has every right to command and ask us to do something, correct? All right. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He doesn't say, go therefore and lead people to Jesus. He doesn't say, go therefore and learn how to worship. These are his final words. It's go and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them, showing them. That's what we're called to do, to reproduce. We're called to be able to share with others so that they will share with others so that they will share with others. I I love the song uh, by Casting Crowns. Don't want to leave a legacy. Now, here's the truth of the matter. We actually do want to leave a legacy, but it's not about us. You see, when I die, I want to have told as many people as I can about Jesus Christ. Taught them how to live for Jesus Christ. Showed them how to walk with Jesus Christ. So that when I'm gone, they carry on the mission. It's about reproducing. Now, here's where the vision comes in for our church. Here's where we want to be. Here's what we're looking for. We want to make disciples of every member of Hillcrest. Make disciples who make disciples. Every member of Hillcrest be discipled and making disciples. Get this, by 2027. You say, Brother John, that's five years away. I'm glad you can count. We can do it. You want to know how we can do it? Right here. This is 2022. Right now we're starting with seven. I myself am taking the staff and I'm discipling them personally. Discipling them, teaching them, showing them. And then the goal is, is after they get done, they lead a group either called a D3 or a D4. That just means that they have two people that come alongside of them or three people. It's a group of three with a a group of two with a leader and a group of three with a leader. And so they come alongside and they do this. And look at this. The next year, there will be 21 if it's a D3 or 28 if it's a D4. Then it goes down. And you look by 2026, 
If we do a D3, it's 567. That means we almost have everybody in the church discipled. Almost everybody sitting in here would be discipled by 2026. 2027, you look at that and you say, wait a minute, we can't even seat that many. No, we can't. No, we can't. But we can reach that many. And could you imagine what God could do if we kept on? Now, you look at that other number and you look at the one below it and people, all of a sudden, their mind just gets blown. You say, how does that happen? Well, here's the thing. It happens because as we disciple people and we mentor them and we grow them and we teach them. And guess what? We show them how to live a Christian life. Now, guess what? It's going to take about an hour and a half of your time to meet with somebody. Can you carve out an hour and a half? You say, well, brother, I don't, you know, when is this going to happen? Well, right now it's happening with the staff. When's this going to happen? You could be asked next year. You could be asked in 2024. You could be asked in 2025. So what are you asking us to do? I'm asking you to begin to pray about what God is going to do when you're asked. What you're supposed to do when you're asked. Because I'm going to be honest with you. When I started this and I started discipling people in Alabama, I did have a lot of people say no. And a lot of people say no. For various reasons. One, well, we just don't have time. Two, what am I going to do with my kids? All kinds of different questions that they came up with. And no matter what answers we could give them, it was not good enough. Because here's the truth of the matter. Some people don't want to be discipled. So I'm asking you, here's what I'm asking you, Hillcrest, to do. I want you to pray. Because I'm here to tell you that we can reach more people for Jesus Christ by discipling than we can just evangelizing. Greg Ogden showed this in his books, Transforming Discipleship. And he showed this stat where he showed that if an evangelist went out and won somebody to the Lord every single day for the rest of his life, 365 people a year. And he went down and man, at first when the disciple was only discipling two and it was growing slowly. And a lot of people looked at that and said, see, there it is. There, you know, if we just go out and win people to Jesus, then we're doing the job. He said, no, if you look at it, by the time it got to about year 15, year 16, it surpassed it and then it blew it out of the water. Why? Because you're investing in someone's life. So I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to seek God's favor about what he would have you to do. And man, when we start going through and discipling and we begin to reproduce disciples for Christ, you better watch out to see what God is getting ready to do. Fire. Follow, imitate, reproduce, and finally, encourage. Look at verses 18 to 21. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly. If the Lord wills, I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? You want to know the number one reason why people don't want to be discipled? Accountability. Accountability. Can I tell you the toughest thing that I have had as a pastor is holding people accountable. You say, what do you mean holding people accountable? Well, if I hear that you're in sin, as your pastor, it's my job to come and talk to you about that sin in your life. Not to put you down, not to tear you down, not to harm you in any way, but to hopefully correct that behavior and get you back on the right path. But can I tell you something? That's not just my job as a pastor. Because Matthew 18, the church discipline, spiritual guidelines, 
or for you as a Christian. If you see another Christian in sin, you're to go to them in a spirit of restoration to encourage them and bring them back. Accountability has gotten such a a bad rep. And the reason why it's gotten a bad rep is because we don't want people to know who we really are. But can I tell you something? Worship, and we're going to talk about this next week, it can't be real until you're authentic. And it can't be all it needs to be until you're authentic. Encourage. Accountability is about encouraging and bringing us back. I would hope and pray that if you saw me doing something wrong, you would come to me. Now, here's the key when you think about it. You go to the person you saw doing it, not anybody else. Oh, but I was seeking prayer to know what I need to do next. That's not what the Bible says. Oh, I needed some advice on how to move forward. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you see your brother in sin, you go to them. You don't expand the circle any more than it has to be. It's accountability. It's encouragement. Because the truth is, is like Paul said, he says, I can come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness. Now, let me tell you something. When my dad brought out the rod, I knew what that meant. And my dad didn't pull it off for show either. You know how a lot of dads, they just whip it through the loops just to make you scared? If my dad whipped it through the loops, it was going on my hiney. Guaranteed. Paul said, don't make me come with a rod. Let me come with love and gentleness. And the truth is, that's what discipleship is all about. It's about encouraging others to continue to proceed and carry on with what God has called us to do. I'm going to tell you something. You may say, well, brother, this has not been the most exciting sermon you've ever preached. But I will tell you this. It will have the most impact if you live it. And it will transform this church like nothing has ever transformed it before. Because discipleship, yes, evangelism is about winning people to Jesus. And we love to see people one to Jesus. And we love to see the front doors wide open and people coming in. But can I tell you what happens in too many churches? The front door is as open as the back door. And just as they're coming in, they're going out. And discipleship is about plugging up the back door. So that it makes it a whole lot harder to leave. Discipleship will change a church if we'll invest and engage in it. And I promise you, Hillcrest, do this for the next five years. And boy, you better hold on. God is going to change this place. Can I just tell you something? I'm scared. I really am. I'm scared because of what God can do. And it is far too big for me to do it. And it's, not, it's far too big for our staff to do it. It is a God-sized vision that only God can do. I hope you'll pray about what God wants you to do. The question is real simple. Are you a disciple? And are you making disciples? That will change us.